and welcome into episode two of Buck the World, the uh, first playoff preview in our illustrious podcast history. Uh, today, uh, I'm joined again by Bill Kanzanieri, uh, but we have a special guest, Shamik Mohio, uh, Pistons writer, Pistons blogger, uh, currently located in Minneapolis, but a Detroit native, here to talk with us about his Detroit Pistons and some Detroit basketball. Uh, how are you doing tonight, fellas? <laughs> oh, I don't know how that started. I'm sorry about that. Uh, doing well, guys. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I, I got nothing to top that. I'm, I'm doing great now. I'm doing even better after that. I, I'm I'm almost a Detroit Pistons fan. Just because I, of that. That's always been my favorite part of when Jalen Rose was on the Bill Simmons pod, is just him yelling Detroit basketball. Uh, it's iconic. It really is. Um, Jalen sort of built it into a brand, and it's even though it's been something for the Pistons. But uh, we got a playoff series to preview. Uh, it sort of came down to the wire yesterday with the Hornets and the Magic. Uh, if the Magic would have lost, I believe they would have been the eighth seed, but they ended up pulling it out against the Hornets, which throws Kemba Walker's future sort of into the lurch, as he said today that winning is his biggest priority so we'll see sort of what happens there but the magic are in the playoffs they got the seven seed which uh relegated detroit to the eight seed so we get to see uh maybe the two best power forwards in the eastern conference going yeah. head to head i'd say so without a doubt yeah i i think people would put ben simmons and kevin love in the mix i think is ben, people is ben so. simmons a power forward I think that's his best position, but I guess people don't consider him a power forward. So I mean, Kevin Love can't stay healthy either. So I, yeah. I don't know if we can really. And I don't think he's him. good defensively or as good of a passer as Blake. So uh, definitively, I mean, the yeah, best two power forward. Yep. The people have spoken. Uh, I mean, I'd like to hear the Sixers fans because I'm sure they're going to argue, but you know, otherwise. <laughs> so let's get started with Blake Griffin. Uh, I guess the question is, Shamik, you expect him to play Sunday night? I expect him to play. Um, there is the off chance he doesn't, and if he doesn't play, he'll be back for either game two or game three. Um, he is really the heart and soul of this team right now, and the, the team really struggles without him, and they're kind of figuring out how to win without him. Um, but he's still so integral to that offense and everything they do on, off the court culture-wise, that it's a huge loss that he's injured at all. So, and Let's dive right into sort of the injuries. Is there anybody else on the Pistons that's injured that would be important to this series? Um, Actually, everybody has been relatively healthy. Blake is just the only guy that really has been just injured, and really that has only come about like the like past few weeks of the season. You guys got lucky. <laughs> I... I do not feel lucky with our injuries as we've sort of had a bunch of them in the last month. Uh, we just to sort of update you on the Bucks status of Brogdon's going to miss the entire first round. Uh, and least. we expect Miritich to be back possibly for Sunday. Um, that's sort of the report that came out. I think Matt Velasquez was the guy on the case today. Uh, Snell could be back sometime mid-series, but they said that uh, Miritich was closer to returning than Snell was. So uh, those are the three big...
big guys that the Bucks are missing. Uh, Dante's done for the season. I believe Paul Gasol is done for the season, but those aren't really guys we would have expected to play. Uh, so I guess let's dive right into matchups. Assuming the Pistons are healthy and assuming Blake Griffin's healthy, uh, how do you think, what are they going to do for Giannis? Well, in the previous four matchups, they've really had no answer for Giannis. There's been nobody on the roster who's been able to kind of stop him or slow him. They've thrown everybody like Stanley Johnson. They've thrown Blake on him. They've thrown um, some of the smaller wings that we have, like, you know, like Glenn Robinson the third or, uh, you know, like Reggie Bullock on him. And and he's just way too big and strong for a lot of the the people on the Pistons. I think the one guy they really haven't tried yet that could kind of hold his own is Andre Drummond. Um, and it actually kind of plays towards his strengths because when Andre Drummond is on the court against the Bucks, he's guarding Brooke Lopez, and Brooke Lopez pulls him away from the rim and takes away what Andre Drummond really does best uh, in rebounding both offensively and defensively. Um, so I I think if they threw Drummond on him, and, 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 and I think Drummond is better on the perimeter than people give him credit for. He is the, is the number one center uh, in, in steals. He's he finished fifth in the league. Uh, he almost always once or twice a game uh, pokes the ball loose at the three point line and runs in transition and gets an easy dunk. And I, I think he's the one guy who can match up physically with Giannis and slow him a little bit. Cause I, I don't think you can really ever stop a guy like that, but to just limit him and kind of beat him up a little bit and then kind of maybe, draw some fouls from him or kind of wear him down so that he's not as crazy in the fourth. That's, I think our, our best chance, but that hasn't been tried yet. So you don't really know. It's uh, it's very interesting that you say that uh, Sham. Um, I'd say the jazz Al, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'd say the jazz uh, employed a very similar theory uh, with Rudy Gobert Um uh, not saying they're uh, Rudy Gobert and Andre Drummond are similar players, but they're both large centers, uh, physical specimens, if you will. And that didn't work out so well for the Jazz uh, when Gobert did that. Um, in theory, I think I think what you're saying uh, could be could be true, and it might be the best case scenario for the Pistons. Um, just when you look at, especially when you look at Brooke Lopez, but Al, what's, what's your thoughts on that? I do think you're wrong. Actually. I think that comparing uh, Andre Drummond to Rudy Gobert is a little bit well, of a no, misstep I, just because I, I know they're just, I, I know I'm just, they're both large physical specimen centers, but I know but, they're very different players. But I think Drummond is more mobile than Gobert. I think Drummond's more of an athlete and yeah. Gobert is more of a length IQ guy. So I think maybe the athlete, the pro- the problem is Blake Griffin is a strong power forward, but Giannis is the strongest power forward possibly that we've ever seen. So I think that you need to be much stronger than Blake Griffin is. The The reason I think Blake Griffin could work is because I think Blake is just good enough at flopping that he <laughs> could get two quick fouls on Giannis and that could change the entire game plan for the Bucks. Top three uh, in drawn charges, I believe. So he's no Ursan. No, no, he's like, no, no. no, that's the like, goat. That's the goat yeah. for, for drawing charges. But I think that's a legitimate strategy. I and if you have a guy that's good at doing it, I think that that could work. But I do think that 
I think cross-matching the bigs makes sense. I would give Brooke a much, or uh, Blake a much better chance at chasing around Brooke on the outside. Yes. I, I think cross-matching the bigs sort of makes sense. Um, I don't know how Drummond would work. I, I don't think we've seen it. And it's really just whether or not Dwayne Casey trusts Andre Drummond enough to do it because it's the most important job in this series. And and actually, Brooke Lopez has also killed the Pistons almost every time that he plays them too. Like, I think the last time that we played him, maybe it was the time before it, Brooke Lopez dropped, I think six or seven threes on us. And yeah, and it, it was just because Andre Drummond was chasing him around the three point line and not really contributing much on that end. And he's a good perimeter defender, but when you're trying to guard a seven foot guy being screened and he's already shooting from like 30 feet out, it's yeah. really difficult to guard. And I think Blake, I mean, even though he's injured, I think he could do a better job at chasing him around than Andre Drummond could. I I I think that I I think that that is you're finding like the best path to success. But I I it's I, not I agree with you. I don't I don't think it'll work either. Like just <laughs> knowing the Bucks, but I think it's probably better than facing up Andre with uh with Brooke and then Blake with Giannis. I do agree with Aldo. Like Giannis when he gets into foul trouble is. Like that scares me a hell of a lot more as a Bucks fan than than Andre like Andre Drummond on Giannis. I I think I think Giannis. Let, let's be clear though, some of Giannis's worst games this season have been against the Detroit Pistons. Um, I don't have so? the yeah the game. Uh, I don't have the game logs in front of me. Oh, but, I think he did have one of his stinkers against the Pistons. Uh, uh, I'll pull up the I'm game logs. Check. But his his gravity um, also like I mean even if when he's having a bad game his gravity is enough to to impact the game in a positive way. You talking about Brooke? I'm talking about Giannis. Oh, Giannis's gravity. Oh, because yeah. it was interesting. You're talking about Brooke, and I think he's had I don't know his exact game logs, but for for Brooke with Detroit, but um, he's had some you know he's he, when he's not hitting the three ball. Uh, I mean he's always providing the gravity, but like that's. That's why I thought you were talking about him, but you know, uh, when he's not hitting the three balls, sometimes he can he can become a little invisible on the offensive side um, from a box sport a box score standpoint, at least. So, I just pulled it up. Giannis did have one kind of a dud against the Pistons. He had fifteen points, seven rebounds, five assists. So, what a bum! Yeah, I know. He, yeah, <laughs> just I think a... he had one game where he had six turnovers too. That was also pretty like from a box score standpoint, it was pretty good except for the six turnover game. So but still, just, like I yeah. said, not ideal. Like the matchups really aren't that great for the Pistons. Like the, the, no. the two teams that I really didn't want to see in the first round were the Bucks and the Sixers. Just those two teams match up horribly with, with the Pistons. Yeah. Like I, I, when I saw the Pistons as a matchup, like I was like, yes, <laughs> I, I, well, I know. I think the type of team that the Pistons match up with ideally is a team where their front court can sort of overpower the other teams. And that's not really the case with the Sixers because the Sixers play really big and the Bucks, they're the best defensive rebounding team in the league. And uh, somehow Brooke Lopez plays like a top five center. Some games he blocks a lot of shots and he, uh, he doesn't rebound, but he boxes out so well that the Bucks rebound at this sort of elite level with him, and then he's a nightmare for opposing centers. So I think that's one of the most important matchups is sort of how they approach that. Um, what did Casey do 
what did Casey do in the playoffs with the Raptors? Like, I know it wasn't necessarily like textbook playoff success, but um, when he coached them, they would go small with Abaca against the Bucks before they had Brooke Lopez. So I'm kind of curious to see how he manages his Pistons roster. But also their firepower on that Toronto team came from the backcourt. The, the yeah. firepower in on, on this Detroit team comes from the front court. Yeah. And that's where I, the, the, the matchup doesn't really, you know, work uh, well in the Pistons' favor at this point. And just to give you guys a little bit of an idea of, like, Giannis's overall success against the, the games uh, with against Detroit, you know, he was, you know, he was a negative eight in the first game um, against Detroit. He, you know, he did put up 32 points, <laughs> um, 12 rebounds, five assists, uh, six turnovers, but he was a negative eight. And that's very uncharacteristic of him. Uh, the second game, 15 points, like you said, Al, before um, three turnovers. He was a plus 17 in, in that instance. But in the third and final game, uh, 21 points, but. I mean, it's Giannis. It's it's really hard to find like chinks in his armor. He's he rarely has a bad game, but I, I do think you know he was he shot fifty percent from the field, which is also a little uncharacteristic of him. Like it's weird to think about, but um, yeah. So I got his splits pulled up right now. He averaged uh, twenty one nine and seven against the Pistons, so sort of lower points, but a fairly high assists against yep. them. Averaged. Yeah. Uh, plus 16.2 split so just a little bit better than what they were as a whole team against the pistons and to clarify maybe we should have said this at the top the bucks were 4-0 against the pistons this year the closest win was by three points but a lot of them were not that competitive yeah that's when blake missed that last shot of the game i think but but that was after we like came back by like 12 or 13 points at the very last you know last five or so minutes Yep. So it was like if we hit that grave, we didn't, then it's kind of expected. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I had a question for you, um, Sham, uh, specifically about Blake. Um, because I mean, I don't watch Detroit games day in, day out. Um, like I, I and I know you you probably haven't watched Clippers games in the past day in, day out, but how do you feel about his season this year? You know, is it really his career best season has like, what has he done? Because Detroit hasn't really been in the limelight. Um, so, like, could you uh, sort of uh, contextualize uh, what Blake Griffin did for the Pistons this year? I know he was basically did everything for them, but how good, how just how good was he? Um, he was, the, like, in all honesty, it's the best Pistons season that I've seen uh, since, like, Ben Wallace. You know, he's... Wow. His his gravity, both on like on offense, was so noted. Like just the, the first few games, they would give it to him in the post, and he would almost always score. And then, when teams started to kind of double and triple him in the post, he would whip it out to our shooters, and they would either make it or miss it. More often than not, miss it at the very beginning of the season. But you could tell that this guy like had a lot of gravity, and that's something that we haven't really seen in Detroit for. 15 years, tw- almost 20 years. Um, so this, this all in, in all honesty was his, I think his best season. And I think it comes as a result of him being like, all right, he's the guy, you know, 
I think when he was in LA, he had maybe like one or two seasons of it. And then, and then even then he was very young uh, and then kind of CP three came and he, and then they kind of shared the limelight, but he has been the sole focal, like focal point of this offense for the entire year. And since kind of missing some time here and there, not really being himself, the Pistons really struggled and it kind of showed in the record uh, like this last month or so. Yeah, it, it is a, it is a, it does make me a bit sad because like he has among all the, the really talented players in the NBA, he may have, I mean, am I wrong in saying he may have the worst supporting cast? Is, does he have the worst supporting cast in the entire NBA? Am I? Please correct me if I'm wrong. Like I can't off the top of my head. Kemba's is worse, depending oh, on yeah. what you consider. Yeah, Kemba. Kemba's is worse. Or Bradley Beal. Okay, I I forgot about I forgot. Oh yeah, Bradley Beal. Well, he had he did have John Wall a little bit, regardless of what you think of him. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, like it's tough to feel bad for Blake Griffin because he obviously got to play with Chris Paul, but the. And Chris Paul's pretty good, and uh, Andre Drummond's pretty good. Uh, but yeah. where we're sort of coming at this is he got to play with probably the best passer in the NBA for the last four years, like one of the best passing point guards, if not the best, one of the better peer point guards. But one of Blake's biggest strengths is his ability to pass. So that sort of value of his sort of got nullified by the fact that he had one of the better point guards always handling the ball. Right. That's not really the case with Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson's fine, but he's not Chris Paul. And if the, I could put one thing on Reggie Jackson's tombstone, it would be not Chris Paul. But it's a lot of Blake to just turn on It's a lot of Blake to really shine this year. And you could just imagine him if he had this sort of Bucks team where instead of Andre Drummond sitting across from him on the other block, Andre Drummond spotted up on the three-point line along with Chris Middleton and Tony Snell and Malcolm Brogdon, you know, spotting up for threes. Instead, he gets to play with guys who do not shoot like that. But uh, I guess let's sort of get into the wings. We've talked a bit about the bigs. Uh, Who's Detroit going to be playing for most of the series for your wing minutes? For the wing, I mean, it'll it'll be a rotation. I mean, it'll start with uh, with the rookie Bruce Brown, who is a, a, a very good defensive player, um, but kind of limited offensively. Very similar to what Stanley Johnson was. Uh, I think a little bit better offensively than Stanley Johnson was, but uh, just uh, he's he's a guy on the like on the roster who will make defensive plays and and kind of lock up the best guard. Uh, the best opposing card and then they'll run out a shooter and most likely it's going to be Wayne Ellington uh who the Pistons picked up at the deadline uh it, so and then when when shots are needed they'll rotate Bruce Brown out for either Langston Galloway or Luke Kennard or um or Glenn Robinson the third but they'll always keep one shooter on the floor at all times at the wing position at least one. And uh, at, at point guard, we got the two-headed monster, Reggie Jackson and Ish Smith, right? Yeah. So, but Reggie Jackson actually, and actually one thing I wanted to point out about the brilliance of, of Blake and running the offense through Blake is that Reggie Jackson, before Blake got here, was a very ball-dominant point guard. He was very similar. He, he played very similar to Russell Westbrook in a way, like almost like yep. dribbling air out of the ball and, like almost to a fault. Uh, and ever since Blake came, that was 
like a lot of people talked about like, oh, like the fit between Andre Drummond and Blake. And and I I was more curious to see the fit between Reggie Jackson and Blake because both of these guys are ball dominant guys. And how are they gonna co coexist and, and and succeed together? Um and the answer was you turn Reggie Jackson into a spot up shooter. And he's shot and I don't have his his stats in front of me right now, but at one point he was shooting near forty percent from three, which is I believe his career high. Um and from catch and shoot, he was, I think, just a shade under that. So turning him into a spot-up shooter was one of the the the, the positive points uh, of bringing Blake Griffin into this roster. And so they kind of rotate in between who's hot and who's not. So two games ago against the Grizzlies when the Pistons made that that comeback by 20-something points, Ish Smith was the catalyst behind that. The, he, he played almost three quarters. And I think Reggie Jackson may have had like 12 or 13 minutes. Um, but last game, it was just the opposite. Reggie Jackson was the catalyst, and he played almost the whole game. Ish Smith barely saw the floor. So yeah. they'll play whoever is hot at the moment. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, Jackson's stats right here, and, you know, you're going to be the uh, preeminent expert on him, but uh, it's pretty impressive. I, I had no idea, but, you know, 5.7 uh, three-point attempts per game, which is – uh, one and a half higher than anything right. previously in his career. And he's he's at uh, 36, uh, 37% essentially. And that's that's really impressive. I'm actually surprised. Uh, his next career high, uh, next closest was uh, with Detroit two years ago. He was at uh, 36% uh, with only 3.5 attempts. So that that's a pretty that's a pretty large improvement. And he had a pretty bad slump, uh, like the end of February, beginning of March, uh, with three-point shooting. So, at one point, I think he was like thirty-eight or thirty-nine percent, and it kind of fell. So, uh, Sham, why don't you sort of walk me through how you think the Pistons are going to match up with the Bucks starters? Um, Poorly. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking for more for who is going to guard who, but that's fair. Um, uh, so the Bucks have been starting Sterling Brown with uh, Brogdon and Snell out. So you got him at the two. Uh, and if you need a scouting report on Sterling Brown, because I'm not sure how many minutes he played against the Pistons, he's a shooter who's capable of driving, plays pretty similar to Malcolm Brogdon, a little less efficient at the rim and from three. Okay. Uh, truly uh, not very good passer. <laughs> okay, fair. <laughs> and then we got Bledsoe and Middleton at the other wing spots. So they'll probably throw Bruce Brown on on Bledsoe because he's the the primary offensive threat from the guard position. They'll probably put Reggie Jackson on uh, Sterling Brown, and then Chris Middleton will will absolutely get Wayne Ellington as a matchup. Oh, that's okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if you if you had to stop Chris Middleton, let's say Chris Middleton is going, you know, twenty eighteen playoffs on the Pistons. Who can you switch on to him? I mean, there really is no no great wing option. That's kind of a hole with the Pistons that we don't after really have. Jackson, after got yeah, uh, after we got rid of Stanley Johnson, there really was no great wing defender that you can really throw on uh, like a, a talented wing like Chris Middleton, and and that's a hole that they'll have to fill this offseason. Um, but I think the best option right now is either Wayne Ellington, who is is decent on defense. He is no defensive stalwart by any means. Um, or Glenn Robinson, the third who is slightly better on defense, but then you, you take away 
on offense. So it's really a, a preference of like, if he's really like if, if Chris Middleton is burning the nets, then maybe you throw Glenn Robinson on there and hope he, he's, he's, you know, slows him down. Um, Ellington sacrifice for offense. Ellington seems like the kind of guy that Chris will get uh very, very large eyes for. And uh, probably he will, he will, he will activate his uh, tough shot express as we like to call it. I'm looking at the Pistons roster just sorted by height. I'm kind of shocked by this. They have strange. they have like nobody that's small forward sized. They that's have Svee. Yeah. He's six eight, and then they have oh, Glenn Robinson. He's six eight or six six. Svee. Other than that, everybody's six five or tall or shorter, and six ten or taller. Yep. So. Yeah, that's yeah. It's a big hole um, right now. I have an answer. And- I have an answer for you, and it's going to work really well. Do you know who that answer is? Who is it? Thon Maker. Put him out there. <laughs> playoff, playoff, Thon activate for the Pistons. <laughs> yeah, that would. I mean, I. I mean, maybe you guys will have to fill me in on Thon Maker, but I actually oh, like please. the way he plays. We um, like Thon Maker. I like Thon. I mean, he's he's he makes some boneheaded like plays here and there, but and like more often than not, he's like a liability on the court. But when he is on, he's fun to watch. It's uh you know we uh one big topic of conversation basically since the Pistons were firmly uh in the 8 seed and we could start you know looking up and down the roster was uh um looking at Thon's statistics since moving to the Bucks and I, frankly I was I was pretty surprised that he's played worse since getting more minutes uh with yeah. the Pistons um kind of kind of disappointed uh about that uh, as a i don't know it's hard it's hard to hate thon uh he's frustrating he works so hard and he's such a nice guy it's yeah but, but like he does something so well the energy he gives you is really valuable um maybe he's the guy that you want chasing brooke lopez around for 30 minutes a game because brooke lopez isn't gonna like necessarily crash him on the glass and if you're gonna be not pressing anyways like he's a really good change of pace option from andre drummond um I don't know. I, like generally, I like Thon Maker. He's not the answer for guarding Chris Middleton, obviously, because that that, that, that just wouldn't work. But um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's it's just really difficult because the, I mean, like I said, like the the, the strength of the Bucks is that they're they're lanky, they're big, and the Pistons aren't really that big. Yeah, what, uh, <laughs> just I know. I know this particular player I'm going to bring up is not an option in any de- defensive sense, but uh, how is uh, Luke Kennard has always kind of intrigued me as your stereotypical white uh, <laughs> shooter chucker uh, from three. How is, how has he played uh, since he sort of uh, the idea with, uh, I don't remember specifically when you guys traded uh, Reggie Bullock, even though I like Reggie Bullock and sort of a minor role, uh, what the idea behind trading Reggie Bullock was to really allow Luke Kennard to play more, correct? Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily the the idea. I think the intent was, yes, to give Luke Kennard more minutes, but not to replace, not to replace him in the same way that Reggie Bullock used to play. Reggie Bullock was strictly like a spot up shooter, runoff screen shooter. Luke Kennard, and honestly, one of the biggest misconceptions about Luke Kennard is that he is is just that and he's not he's he's a lot more than that and actually he's a lot better shooting off the dribble 
Um, he is very good as like a secondary ball handler. Um, he is better than better than you think on defense. Uh, he's not okay. very. I mean, he's not very good, but a lot of people think like, oh, he's ass on defense. But he's he's better than you think. Um, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> think like Luke Kennard, in, in all honesty, and and a lot of people kind of like rag on me for this, but if you take like Dwayne Wade's athleticism and <laughs> contribute that into like three point shooting and like have the same craftiness that Wade had. Luke Kennard has like that very similar craftiness that Wade does where he can get people off ball fakes. Um, he made one Knicks guy jump out of his shoes on like a spinning jumper or whatever. And it was beautiful. And he reminds me a lot of like what Wade is now, or like, I guess what Wade was now, like he doesn't have the athleticism, but he's super crafty around the rim. Well, I'm excited to see crafty Luke Kennard. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, but the Bucks are such a good defensive team that I don't know if you'll if you'll actually see that. Like, yeah, he uh, was doing all that stuff against like the Grizzlies and the Knicks. Uh, Al, would you would you comfortably say the the guys that like who, what's the type of here? This is more a Bucks thing, but I don't want uh, to. I don't want to move on from Luke Kennard yet. Uh, ever? <laughs> no, no, I got a I got a fun Luke Kennard fact for you. Uh, before okay. you ask your question. Luke Kennard is second all-time in Ohio State, or not Ohio State, the state of Ohio high school basketball scoring. Yep. His senior year, do you know who he passed? LeBron James? Yeah. LeBron James. Hey, yeah. LeBron James is actually fifth. Luke Kennard scored 300 more points in high school than LeBron James. Three Luke Kennard scored 2,977 points in high school. Do you know how crazy that is? He's a pure scorer. I mean, he he just knows how to score the basketball. Yeah, he's just like Uncle Drew out there yelling, "I get buckets." But okay, now what were you going to ask me, Bill? Um, I was just saying we, we've talked a lot about the Pistons, um, but uh, you know, in terms of like what what is the type of player you fear the most as like a Bucks fan? when you're facing, cause I have two particular player types that I'm like, Oh no, they could burn the bucks and they have before throughout the season. What, what would you say? Um, it would be shooting centers. So like if the bucks had to guard, <laughs> so, yeah, if the bucks had to guard somebody like Al Horford in pick and roll, uh, I would be worried about that guy popping with how the bucks maker. like to sink into the paint. No, yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. Thonmaker, 30%. can he shoot above the break threes? No. Like, he's he okay from the corner. <laughs> he but tries. Like a, yeah. Uh, and credit he tries Thon, a lot he does of things. Try. That's fun. Yeah, he tries. Uh, does he succeed? The effort is there. The, uh, <laughs> and the other thing would be sort of guys who can shoot off pin downs and uh, DHOs. Um, so maybe somebody like Wayne Ellington could. Uh, but, like, if you're losing a playoff series because of Wayne Ellington, like, should you even been there in the first place? Like no. that's that's the thing. If Blake Griffin kills the Bucks somehow, I would feel really bad about this team. I might delete my Twitter account, but like, I, you don't really. There's something else wrong with your team. There's nobody on this Pistons team that scares me enough to think that the Bucks would lose this series. Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely. If if that was implied in my question, uh, no, I know it was. <laughs> there is one guy that I think that you all should be afraid of in a first round playoff series, and that's Zaza Pachulia because yeah. he has ah. a history. He has a history of uh, of kind of you know sticking his foot out. All right, on the, all right I'm going to straight up. 
I'm going to make this very clear before the series starts. Sham, I'm going to be very upset if Zaza gets one of our players hurt, and I'm going to direct it at you. No, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't think he's dirty. I think he's unintentionally clumsy. Yeah, I didn't think I, that play against Kawhi was intentional. I just think I he's, he's I think he's bad at what he does. And, like, I don't, like, okay, so let's let's take the Texas Tech-Virginia example. The guy did the same. Or no, wait, it wasn't Texas Tech, Virginia. What? It was the semifinal game that Virginia Auburn. advanced on. Yeah, it was the Auburn guy that fouled the Virginia guy. I didn't think that was a dirty play, even though it was very similar to what happened. The guy could have came down and twisted his ankle the same way Kawhi did, but I thought the Auburn guy just made a bad play. Like it's that's sort of the difference. Yeah. But, I, I think we've covered a lot of matchups. Is there anything you think that Dwayne Casey can throw at the Bucks? And should we be worried about Mike Budenholzer's coaching? Should should I be worried? No, should we, <laughs> as Bucks fans. I should be worried about it because you guys have nothing to worry about with Casey. Casey gives like an outline of what of like what they should do and then more or less lets them play. Yeah. Okay. It, my that only sounds, worry that is that about right. Casey has beat the Bucks before. I, I guess I, that's not my only worry. My there there is like a concern that Mike Budenholzer might not be the best playoff coach, and he might not make adjustments quick enough. It's just really tough to worry about that in the context of the Detroit Pistons. Fair no offense. Yeah, so that's I mean, fair. That's, <laughs> um, he, uh, one thing I always like to because obviously. I said this last podcast, but I'll always say it. We can't watch every single game. And admittedly, Detroit has not been at the top of my uh, intriguing league pass viewing schedule. Um, what are some misconceptions uh, about the Pistons that you'd... I mean, bes- I mean, you did it with Luke Kennard recently, and I didn't really know enough about him to say otherwise. What are some misconceptions you'd like to air out? I suppose I'd love to hear them. Um, that... Andre, because I I don't think like Twitter or or people really understand how good Andre Drummond is. Um, yeah, that's true. I would man agree man up a consistent double double. It's honestly weird if he doesn't have ten rebounds by like midway through the third quarter. Um, he is a is not only a lob threat, but when he misses shots or when other team like when his uh, teammates miss shots. He's very good at getting in a position, not only for a rebound, but for a putback. And he and he'll and he'll try two, three, four, five, six, ten times to put the ball back up. And that's honestly why his field goal percentage is not that great, because he has so many missed shots at the rim. Um and I I think people kind of don't give him credit uh for the amount of like the 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 strides he's made on defense, both with his hands on the perimeter and at the rim. He's not Giannis or Gobert, but he is a lot better than people give him credit for. And I think if the Bucks don't take him seriously, I think he could really burn them badly. Yeah, he. I mean, he has to be a guy that they emphasize in film. Like, you got to get a body on him, otherwise he will get put back. Yeah, and the, you get resets and stuff like that, and that sort of stuff can just take the gas out of you on a tough road game and you know, the little Caesars arena and it's one of the toughest places in the league to play. But no, in, on all seriousness, 
the way that the NBA has become and the way that a lot of people on Twitter view it, you're basically stuck as the player that you were your third or fourth year in the league, and they don't give you any credits for improvement made after that. And Andre Drummond was like a below average defender his third or fourth year in the league. He's not that anymore. He's very solid on that end. The Pistons wouldn't be this good. And I mean, it's not like the Pistons are a team that you really want to write home about, but the Pistons wouldn't be as good as they are today. And they wouldn't have had that long stretch where it looked like they were going to lock up the sixth seed before Blake's injury. They wouldn't have had that stretch without Andre Drummond, especially on the post all-star break stretch. Andre Drummond played really good and he's a different player than he was three years ago. And it shows up when you watch the games, but like Bill said, I don't know how many people are watching Pistons games regularly. Yeah, and that's the problem because when you look at his like true shooting percentage or his field goal percentage or any advanced stat, it doesn't look that great. But when you put it in context, like, oh, for every rebound, he's putting up a missed shot. But he's getting the rebound, and then eventually one goes in. Well, then do you value those missed shots if one actually does go in and he's the one getting the rebounds? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. so everything takes context, and I, and I feel like people lack with context with him. I think he's one of the tougher guys in the league to evaluate. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, he got a lot of hate early on, so like years ago. So I know that. Okay, so we've talked about coaching, individual matchups. We went through the big players on each team um, pretty completely. Um, I know, I guess one more thing I want to touch about with players and matchups. Bledsoe has never really won a playoff series and nobody on the Bucks has. And like, that's a stigma that they have to get past. But you know, I, the Pistons were one of the teams I highlighted in an early season piece. I wrote about Eric Bledsoe um, because if Eric Bledsoe wants to prove that he's worth this next contract, he has to win the matchup with Reggie Jackson. You have to win the matchups with the, you know, I don't know what you think of Reggie Jackson. I think he's a top 20 point guard in the league. He's clearly a starter. Mo- uh, maybe I shouldn't say he's clearly. Yeah, I think I yeah, he's I, clearly a starter. No offense. I, I, okay, let's say he's a top thirty point guard. Over the course of a matchup, you have to outplay him. You have to outplay him if you're a seventeen million dollar a year kind of guy, uh, because seventeen million dollar a year is above average starter money. Uh, if Bledsoe wants to say that he's a top ten point guard, you need to win the matchup with Reggie Jackson. And you might say he's obviously going to win it, but he didn't win it last year with Terry Rozier and. I don't think Terry Rozier is demonstrably better or worse than Reggie Jackson. And I think that's worth saying. What, but does, but does your perceptions of Terry Rozier's, uh, I mean, last time I checked, he had just an awful year this year. Uh, do you think your perceptions have changed considerably just based on like what he's shown this year? No, I don't think he was good before. And I don't think he's good now. Okay. Yeah, that's a good point, though. But but Eric Bledsoe has has a really good opportunity to to play well against Reggie Jackson because Eric Bledsoe is a very good defensive guard, and Reggie Jackson has always struggled with very good defensive guards, um, especially ones that know how to guard the pick and roll. Um, it, yeah, and and I think Bledsoe knows how to do that well. And he just needs to show up game one with this intensity, not say I don't know who that is. He has to say, I know who <laughs> Reggie Jackson is. It's not the guy that played baseball and football. It's the basketball right. player, and I'm locking him down. Games one to four, and then we're moving on to the Boston Celtics, and I got Kyrie Irving. 
because Kyrie Irving's an entirely different animal. And if you don't manhandle Reggie Jackson, you're going to get bossed by Kyrie Irving. Yep. I think Bledsoe, I think we can comfortably say his attitude to me has changed a lot with Bud. I think he's one of the, the, the players that has benefited the most um, under Budenholzer versus uh, the kid Prunty combo that we had last season. Um, For sure. Yeah. And like, you don't have to look any further than his numbers at the rim to say that, but like he has to ruin in the playoffs. He was having a really good year last year up until Terry Rogier made him look like his son. That's very true. Yeah. I mean, everything can change in the playoffs too. Like you don't really know what player could really go off in any series. All it takes is for one player to be hot for to change the outcome of a series. Maybe not this series, but <laughs> a, a close series. But, yeah. yeah. And if Kyrie Irving is a flamethrower next series, that's something that, you know, I don't know how we talk about it. Like if he averages 35 a game on 65 true shooting, the bucks are going to really struggle with the Celtics, the same with Al Horford. Those are just the type of guys that could really give you troubles. could give any team in the league troubles, but I don't think we need to get too deep into anything else. Uh, anything else you guys wanted to cover before we move on to predictions? I'm good for my end. Yeah. Kind of covered everything. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I learned a lot about the Pistons, which is uh, honestly, uh, I learned a lot about Luke Kennard and that's exciting. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited to see a uh, miniature, very much less athletic Dwayne Wade. <laughs> yep. I'm so excited to see that. You have no He's idea. Crafty. I mean, I mean, there'll be like a, like a few plays that you'll see. You're like, wow, that's pretty crafty. Or like and, some setbacks and stuff that you'll see. You're like, oh, interesting. No. And you know, if if we're going to be putting our two guards on him, like I think Sterling's a pretty good defender, but he's young. Um, Brogdon's out this series. He isn't really a spectacular defender either. Snell is has his moments. If when he come back comes back, so honestly, the the I, you could you could say just based on uh, the, the way this season has unfolded, that the weakest quote-unquote position of uh, the Bucks right now, just out of, because of lack of consistency, is the two guard. So, um, you know, maybe maybe Kennard will be the, uh, I mean, unless Bledsoe guards him, <laughs> but maybe Kennard will be the, the fun, bright spot for the Pistons in this series. Okay, let's do it. Let's get on to predictions. Uh, Shamik, you're our guest. So why don't you hit us? How Get many games are the Pistons taking to win? So, so let me preface my prediction by saying what the expectations are of this team. So a lot of people in Detroit are all about like this tank or championship mentality. And and I and I don't buy into that. I think if you improve year over year, I think that's better than the opposite, right? Um and the, the Pistons have not won a playoff game in over a decade. So I think if they steal even one game from the Bucks, that'll be so much progress that would have been made that I would be happy with the season's conclusion if the game, if the series ended in five. I'm going to predict it to end in four because I don't see that happening, but I want it to be the most difficult four game sweep that you guys have ever had. And keep in mind, it'll be the only sweep that me and Bill have been alive for, but we appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do think it's important to note that, like, the Bucks had this same, like, eighth seed is good mentality, and people ripped it for years. 
but they forget that the year the Bucks got the eighth seed, they drafted Giannis. Um, if you look, I don't want to rag on Luke Kennard, but Luke Kennard went one spot ahead of Donovan Mitchell, and that was late in the lottery. Um, are the do the Pistons have the fifteenth pick? Yep. So they're going to have a chance. You know, there's always guys late in the draft. I mean. It, it, Malcolm Brogdon went 36th, and Malcolm Brogdon would look really good on this Pistons team. Agreed. Uh, so, like, I don't buy into that either. Like, if you keep Blake and Drummond, that can be your 2-3. You might have to get really lucky to find the one, but you could make a team that could possibly push for the fourth seed with Blake as your best player, I think. Yeah, um, and, like, all just, it takes is that one guy just to be transcendent. I mean, you don't really know because – 12 teams passed on Donovan Mitchell before that 13 team did. And actually, even that 13 did, uh, they tr- traded him draft night. So, you know, it, it's it's really crazy to see, like, how players can progress and, and ascend into stardom out of nowhere. Yeah. So I don't think, like, getting to the playoffs was big. The Hornets really wanted that spot, and I think it would have meant a lot more to them than it meant to the Pistons because the Pistons aren't at risk of losing their star point guard the pistons aren't they they had really nothing to lose this year i mean blake would have been mad but what's he gonna do about it it's um but i don't want to get too bogged down into detroit's future uh bill <laughs> what do you think um i mean four like sweep <laughs> uh i i yeah i mean it's hard to see for me the pistons just don't don't present many. I don't see very many obstacles. Like even even with the magic and the hornets, I saw like little obstacles uh, throughout the season that I just don't see at all with uh, the Pistons. I think it'll be a pretty comfortable four game sweep. But um, uh, what, do th- what do you think the closest win is by? Oh, I think there's for sure going to be one super close game. Uh, it'll be it'll be under five points. I think there'll be another. Su- it's just like the regular season, I suppose. But yeah, yep. They win the series by an average of fifteen a game, but there's one game that you sort of have to sweat out at the end. That's uh, ten, maybe ten a game. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, no. Uh, it's hard. It's hard for me to get that. Like cocky in about my Bucks team, I've suffered through way too many bad years. So. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's really tough to be cocky because we've never been here before. Correct. Uh, it's like in SpongeBob when Plankton gets the Krabby Patty in his hand, and he's like, "I honestly didn't think I would get this far." Because right. that's that's where we that's where we're at. We didn't yep. think we were going to be this good. Uh, Bill, what was your preseason win prediction? Forty oh God, forty nine, fifty. No, I had fifty plus. The talent I've always had fifty plus. You know, sans Jason Kidd. Uh, but I, I mean, I, it wasn't. No, not sixty. No, I think I, I was fifty-two. I think yeah. I was an optimistic fifty-two type of guy. I, I'm pretty much all I said. All I said is we'd go at least, at least like over fifty-one. I didn't make any hard predictions. At least I don't remember doing so. But definitely more than fifty. So. I was confident we could get home court in the first round. So I remember uh, you saying that. I'll back that up. I'll back that up. Uh, I'm going to make it a unanimous Bucks and four. Uh, I just think there's too much talent on this team. I'll I'll give you guys an interesting over under, though. Uh, Over under Giannis, 115 points 
in the first round. 115 points total. Um, yeah. No, per game. <laughs> I, was say, yeah. I mean, it, maybe game one. I don't know. Um, I mean, I'll, I, I kind of have to go over because I feel like he could average either like like 30 or like close to 30 a game. Bill, you taking the over? On 115? Yeah. I'll take I'll take the over on that. Um I I think I think, you know, I don't know, like I feel like Giannis is, you know, in so many interviews he talks about being frustrated by being held back minutes-wise or just other things bud trying to keep him in check and healthy. Uh you know, I, I uh, this year, I think I, I believe I just recently saw a statistic that, you know, if he won the MVP, he'd be he'd have the lowest total uh, non lockout minutes in an MVP season since somebody in the 70s or something. Um, I'd have to recheck that. But I think that Giannis has so much more to offer than we've even seen, along with the rest of the team, that uh, I think he could eclipse 115. So. And I think that that's something really important to note is that like per 36, his numbers took a big jump, but they went up per game despite playing a lot less minutes. So that's, that's the one thing that sort of gives me hesitance. But for me, I thought 115 was a fair over under, and I didn't expect you both to take the over and sound so confident in it. So uh, maybe I'm going to tweet the same thing out, but maybe I'm going to bump it up to, no, I'm going to keep it at 115. He averaged 21 a game against the Pistons in the regular Stick season. Stick to your convictions, though. Yeah, I'm make sticking to 115. I'm going to make it a poll, and we'll throw it out there. Um, I think that he's going to be under. I think he's going to have, like, two 35-point games, but then he's going to have, like, two lower 20s games, which would put him... Okay, so he's going to be at, like, 114. Um, I'm going to bump it up to 118 for the poll. But... The point is, uh, he's going to have some games where it's a Chris Middleton game. He's going to get the shooters more involved because they're going to sort of build a wall. And... Oh, the high assist games? Yeah. yeah. I suppose you're right. Yeah. Like, I don't think every game is going to be a Giannis game in this series. And, uh, and that's, but... that's like character- Giannis characteristically, you know, he will do... He will have those games because, you know, they'll they'll switch defensive schemes. So, you you know, I... God, maybe I should... I don't well, want to here's pull the thing. back if he, scores, if, if he scores 40 in the first game, like he's going to easily get it because he would just have to average, you know, like. He would have to average 25 in the other three games. And obviously if we go to a fifth game, he would only have to average 23 for the entire series. But, but if you go uh, to seven, then it's no, I'm kidding. Yeah. If you go to wait, wait, are <laughs> Pistons, Pistons in six. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. We're gonna bounce you guys at five. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's actually gonna end in Little Caesars Arena in Game Four. So I mean, Ooh, hook that to my veins. Yes. Uh, okay, we're getting pretty off track. <laughs> uh, uh, I will. I just want to say I will eat Little Caesars if we lose this series. I'll eat Little Caesars every day for let's say thirty days. I swear to, and I'll put it on Twitter. For you, if the Pistons win the series, or the Pistons win yeah. the game. If if the Pistons, no, the, I'm not going to take the Pistons in the game. If the Pistons win the series, I will eat Little Caesars every day for 30 days. If the That's Pistons cost you 150 dollars, if the Pistons win a game, I want to see you eat an entire Little Caesars pizza on Periscope. Uh, 
Um, shit. It's really uh, a win-win you know for you. Guys, guys, like, you're going to win the series, is, and you're going to get a pizza. And, and it's a win for the podcast, because people are going to eat that shit up, dude. Um, oh, my twice. gosh. Of twice now. All right. Uh, one. What do you think, Al? I got I to gotta confide in my co-host. Has to be think? a large. Should I do this? All their pizzas were the same size. Like I don't even know what's going on here. Yeah, I don't know. I've never got anything besides the five dollar hot and ready. Oh, have you not had like the the bacon crust and the uh, the deep dish? I don't. I don't order anything at Little Caesars. (laughs) The Italian cheese bread's really good, but they are not paying me to promote them. So I, I want to dial this down before I give Little Caesars too much free ad time. Yeah. <laughs> for All our right. 15 viewers i'm 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 never gonna say the those two words again but i will say i will eat that brand of pizza if the pistons win by more than five points in a game okay okay i'll do it so the pistons win by 10 in four games uh i expect four pizzas <laughs> I, I, uh, you're st- i'll do it i'll do it at least once for you i'll stick okay, to that deal. okay deal. i don't want to put on you know, too much weight. Okay. Deal. Uh, Shamik, where can everybody find you on Twitter? You can follow me uh, at ShamShamGod. Uh, I write occasionally at Motor City Made. Uh, I have a podcast called Two Gods and a Goose. Go check that out. Very different than the very serious sports podcast. So uh, after you finish listening to this one, listen to that one. Uh, but yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah how, about, how about you, Bill? Where can we find you on Twitter? I am at Bill Cancenary. Very simple. Uh, and I am obviously at June's Fushes. Uh, thank you for listening to another edition of Buck the World. And we will come back at you with some... Uh, we'll come back at you sometime in the middle of the series and let you know how we, what we think of what's going on. Thanks for listening, everybody.